Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. High Heels in Politics listeners will hear an inspirational story featuring our guest, Bassa Shera, as she shares her remarkable account from a childhood in a European country to becoming an accomplished American businesswoman. Bessa was a young teenager who immigrated with her family from Albania, a communist satellite state of Russia, after World War II. So what were the biggest cultural differences between Albania and the United States? And how did she adapt to the changes? Why was it important to her to work in upholding our Constitution and human rights? Albania? is a small European country that borders the Adriatic Sea and is located across from Italy and above Greece. Fifty years of communism and isolation, students suddenly became politically active and campaigned against the government. The communist regime fell in 1991, and many saw their future outside the borders of Albania. Bessa was only 17 years old when her family brought her to the United States. She obtained her mechanical engineering degree from Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, and then completed her master's in international negotiation and policy at the Graduate Institute in Geneva, Switzerland. She has worked for small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, and she founded and is the CEO of Shira Group Consulting. Bessa, welcome to High Heels and Politics. What area of Albania did your family live, and what was life like in Albania? Thank you, Marianne, and thank you for having me. I'm so very excited about this and the fact that I get to sit down with such a pillar of our community. I always tell people, I, I say I'm Albanian born, but I'm American made. And I hold that with a lot of pride in me. I was born in the southern side of Albania in a city called Vlora. Vlora is an ancient city, as is Albania in general. It's a country, not a country, but it was back then a conglomerate of different tribes called Illyria. And so I'm from the southern side, which is a coastal city. It's a beautiful cross-section of the Adriatic and Ionian Sea, which then goes into the Mediterranean. The beach and a body of water has always been part of my life. So I love Albania. I love America. And I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Bessa, you love the sea. How in the world did you come to Ohio? There isn't any sea or beaches here. <laughs> it's true. And better yet, how did I stay for 20 years? Yeah, it's, mine is a very simple story. I didn't cross an ocean or, or swim an ocean, rather. I did cross an ocean to come here. I came here when I was about 17 to go to Wright State University. I got admitted into college and I'm real excited about that. I knew nothing about Ohio except that my sister, whom I am extremely proud of, she's a cardiothoracic surgeon, 
now here in the University of Kentucky Hospital, she was going to pre-med at Reich State. And so she said that, listen, the engineering program is incredible here at Reich State, et cetera. So I was sold. And next thing I knew for the first time ever, I got on a plane and I came to Dayton, Ohio. Now, what did your dad do in Albania and why did he decide to move to America? Actually, my parents stayed. They stayed in Albania, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. But I probably need to touch a little bit on my family history to connect it all together. You mentioned 45 years of communism. My family was a primary target of communism. We Seven people from my family were executed by the communist regime, largely because we aligned with the West. And what I mean by that is they... First of all, we're educated in the West, Oxford University, we had Harvard graduates, we had people from the University of Rome that really had gone overseas to learn a new way of doing things and come back to Albania and apply those things. Of course, for communist countries, people that are intellectuals, that are free thinkers, they don't work. They're not good. And so my family being also one of the rather wealthier families in Albania was persecuted extremely harshly. And we specifically became the opposition of that government. So my father, that went in 1990, we overthrew communism. Just mentioned it was a bunch of students and professionals like my mom and dad who thought enough is enough. Our children have nothing to eat. You have taken everything from us. It's time. And so they essentially took to the streets, an Albanian spring, if you will, except it was December and rather cold in Albania. Yes. And protest after protest, they finally, with the help of the United States, overthrew communism. And so my dad then ran, he also was a, an engineer and ran for mayor of our city, a city of about 200,000 people. He was the first democratically elected by vote, by the free will of the people, mayor of our city, which was a huge deal for us. Yes, to be mayor of any city is. It sounds very glamorous, but growing up, if you can imagine what happened was everything was government-led. And so essentially when the government ceases to exist, guess what? Everything ceases to exist. So the way we made bread, nobody was going to work. We had no electricity. We had no water because nobody was running all these large enterprises to help support all these services. So I remember my dad when I was very young, especially one particular early morning, it was like 3 a.m. And we had gotten a call that there is no bread for the people, that people would start buying their bread at 5 a.m. And so he is putting his shoes on and he tells me, remember this, remember how very important it is. And of course, I was like six years old, so that meant nothing to me back then, but I connect the dots today and I just think what an incredibly unsung hero that is. It sounds like a mayor of a city, so glamorous, and really you're going to make sure people have bread and water and electricity. So Now, is your family yeah. still there in Albania or did they come eventually here? My father has passed away. He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but 
he lives within me and my sister and my my mom periodically comes to the United States I'm excited to say she also became a US citizen not too long ago and is excited so she's still home is still Albania for her um, but she has dual citizenship yeah she has dual citizenship she largely resides here she helps me raise the next generation if you will <laughs> another interesting aspect about you Bessa you speak several languages French Turkish Italian Albanian you went and chose to get your masters in Switzerland expand on that Absolutely. I so you will find that while I might be rather unique here in Europe and especially Albanians, they speak a lot of languages and that's deeply rooted in us since 1990 because we weren't allowed to learn any other languages. We weren't allowed to communicate at all with the outside world. Remember The big bad wall was everybody outside of us, and we were the ones fighting evil. And my parents, of course, they, my father used to learn English under a blanket, and it sounds so crazy right now, right? But because if your neighbor heard that you spoke a different language, you could go to jail for that, especially English. And so they instilled in us this big thing of wanting to learn as much as you possibly can and especially languages it is very normal for albanians to speak especially italian or greek french is a big preference i'd say one of the most unique languages that i speak is turkish and that's because i went to a turkish boarding school during high school and that was one of their big things i chose to specifically work on my masters in Switzerland because I find that to be the heart of international politics and affairs. And when you go to Geneva, it's a bubble where all the big things happening in the world are being discussed. So it's a little bit different from how Ohio conducts business where we're very much about Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. There I got an opportunity to learn more about the international organizations like the World Trade Organization, the United Nations. We did a lot of work there. Think about any big organization is there in Geneva. So it gave me an opportunity to understand as an American what it means to be in these settings. What are you able to do with this international education? You talk <laughs> about hiring, yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, how has it uh, helped you in working internationally? I've done a lot of fun things. One of them, of many, besides setting up my company, which is essentially serves as a consulting company for domestic and foreign affairs. Campaign finance is a big specialty of mine, and we'll talk about that later. But specific to what I can do with this degree, Anything from serve as an international consultant on a particular treaty, which is, that was our big thing, was multilateral or bilateral negotiations for particular treaties with the United States and or the EU and other countries as well, to serving as an ambassador. Pretty much everything and anything you can think of was treated in those 19 months that I got this degree. Okay. Now... You have worked with the International Women's Group and served as president of the Dayton, Ohio, Santa 
Club. What is the mission of that organization? And one of the unusual things that you thought was that Ohio was one of the top states for human trafficking. Yeah, that was part of my motivation for joining them. But who so what the organization does, Zantes was started in 1919 to be essentially the counteract for Rotary, right? Because Rotary would not allow women until later on. And so they created their own organization and it serves to essentially advance the status of women, both domestically and internationally. Azanta is also a non-governmental organization that helps the United Nations, particularly UN women, quite a bit in many of their initiatives. Like I, I remember one of the big things that we worked on back then was the female genital mutilation, which was essentially a tradition that a lot of African countries follow. Yeah, let's, um, let's explain that a little bit better for our listeners. Female genital mutilation is particularly applied on women as a way to make sure that they do not engage in sex before marriage. And this um, is when they're very young, isn't it? Extremely young, extremely young. And it's very painful. And it's extremely painful. And so we worked with the UN to raise awareness on these incredibly I, I don't, primitive practices on women that are unable to advocate for themselves. A lot of the cultures that this is done on, women largely have no voice. And we wanted to support the UN with that. We dedicated quite a bit of efforts and funds to it for that particular biennium. And you might have remembered there was a zero tolerance on female genital mutilation campaign that was led on, I want to say around 2012 or so. Yes, I uh, remember hearing about it. Yeah. So this yeah, is it was why I asked. We're talking children as young as what, five or six, or not people, yeah. it's children. Absolutely. And it's it's sad. It still continues. You cannot you cannot fight it unless all of us are in it fighting it. Right. But the part of the advocacy on this particular issue is that it's a cultural thing. It's customary. And so it's something that we just do. But if that was the case, we'd allow a lot of other things to just happen because they're they just, that's what we're used to doing, right? Yep. And I'm that person, I'm always, where I see injustice, it's just how I am. It doesn't matter if it's me against the world. I am prepared to do my bit and stand, stand on what I consider to be the right side of history. We mentioned human trafficking here in Ohio, and I know it's rather prevalent because I know the Attorney General has attempted mm -hmm. to find a way to stop it. It's incredible, Marianne, because we happen to be in sort of a position, geographical position, with Detroit being right there and then right next to the border of Canada, that we are like the perfect opportunity or transitional place to basically transport human trafficker, human trafficking victims. One of the things that I worked on, and this was, I'm proud to say, though my tenure was about a year and a half with the Zonta Club of Dayton, this was one of the biggest things that I worked on. Back then, Governor Kasich had 
put in an incredible effort to highlight how bad human trafficking was actually in Ohio because we always as Americans we think it's out there it's not it's not something that will affect me and the truth is it's not it's happening Dayton Ohio Detroit Toledo Ohio etc what we did is we tried very hard you might have heard of catch court it was judge herbert here in franklin county that started it and it's a good way for women or girls to be able to not be sentenced for sex crimes, but rather be put through these particular six-week program where they are given a skill set. So it's another way of making sure that human trafficking victims are supported. We're going to change the subject a little. You served on boards of charter schools in Columbus, and you've Mm -hmm. taken a strong position to expand STEM education. Why? You're absolutely right. I have belonged and I am currently working with one of them called the Heart of Ohio Classical Academy, which leverages the Hillsdale curriculum. And I'm a big passionate person about the ability to have choices in your children's education. Even when I didn't have kids, I, and then that, again, that stems from our inability in my upbringing to make any choices at all as an individual. That's part of why I support it. I also think that not everybody learns the same way, and we need to give people an opportunity to experience different kinds of education and curriculums. Big fan, Heart of Ohio Classical Academy is coming on October on in 2024, fall 2024. So check it out for sure. Okay. I met you through the Ohio Supreme Justice, Pat Fish, Supreme Court Justice, Pat Fisher, as you served as his deputy finance director for his campaign. What's been your history of your experiences with your consulting group? The motivation behind my particular business is through my experience of being a candidate. I ran twice here in Franklin County, and of course, I didn't win both times. Largely, first of all, I was a first-time candidate, but also it's really tough to win in these larger counties that are primarily blue, and I ran as a Republican candidate. What position did you run for? Absolutely. I ran for Columbus City Council. I won that primary. Out of 11, there was four of us that made it through. I also ran for Franklin County Clerk of Courts. I decided to do these two positions because I saw particular things within the community that I felt weren't being addressed, and that was my motivation behind it. So when I realized that a lot of candidates go through the same thing, where their message, though it can be very powerful, without financial support is really tough to propagate. And I thought to myself, okay, how do I make this, first of all, affordable so people have access to fundraising information and fundraising professionals, but also largely focus on the conservative area of things. And that's how we came about specific to Justice Fisher. He happens to be one of my favorite justices here in Ohio. He is such a principled man. It's fantastic to learn from him. And again, it goes back to my upbringing of not having equal access to justice, that the judges are such an incredible big deal to me personally. And I try and support him as much as possible. In fact, 
a lot of the work that I do is with judges. Can other people hire your consulting firm? And if so, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Shira Group Consulting is open for business. Me and an assistant, and we largely try to cover all of the candidates. And you can absolutely reach out to me directly via my phone number or via email. You can reach me via phone at 614-370-9948 and via my email, bsharagroupconsulting.com. Spell your last name for them. S-H-A-R-A-H, bshara, at sharagroupconsulting.com. What advice would you give people who want to come to the United States? What did you think the United States was going to be like? I remember telling my dad that I really wanted to stay in Albania and that my calling was to be in politics there. And that was that. My dad said, you should go and experience something different first and then decide what you want to do. I didn't realize by that he meant experience how to shovel snow for eight months out of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought America is the country on the hill. Me. It remains that. And no matter how hard things get in the United States, they are far better than in many other countries of the world. And I am blessed to have that perspective. I believe that fundamentally, the United States is not leading the world and world affairs. It is, in fact, a very dark future, as we can see with a lot of things that are happening in the world. My perspective as a as an American, as a naturalized citizen, is that rather than constantly asking what the country is doing, or we sure, we need to hold our government accountable, but also feel extreme gratitude for having the ability to be in the United States, largely because, though hard, right? Though life is hard, having access to things in a constitution like the United States has, it is unlike any other country. And this gives me perspective that I try to instill in my children. And I remain a grateful American. And so that's what Well, Bessa, I think one of the biggest things that most of us who were born and raised here, because our grandparents once came here to America, is that word called freedom. Freedom to say what you want. Freedom to live in many ways the way you want. Freedom. It really is. And we never realize how important it is. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to as we're getting close to closing. I want you to talk about personal family because you had this beautiful little daughter who only weighed a little over one pound when she was born. Yeah, that one just had her eighth birthday two days ago. So if you can believe, she's leaps and bounds from what her beginning was. Yeah, we all of a sudden found ourselves ourselves with a premature baby with absolutely no understanding how prematurity worked. But we were, again, we were blessed because... With the folks here in Columbus at Nationwide Children's are absolutely incredible and do 
a fabulous job, especially with premature children. Isabella, she was born at a pound five ounces, 500 grams. And I remember very vividly being told that, listen, all you need to pray for right now is that we have a tube small enough to get down her throat to get her to breathe. So parenthood takes a whole other meaning when you're told something like that. And so we prayed and not only was she able to breathe on her own, but they had a tube large enough and just small things like that. But I remember roadblock after roadblock just because of how much Freemies face when they are firstborns. By the grace of God and some incredible doctors at Nationwide Children's, Isabel's thriving today. She has no global delays to speak of. And that's, again, thankful for all the programs here at Ohio, in Ohio to support these children. It changed me completely as not only as a mom, but also as a human being to see how, how very fragile life truly is. Yeah, let's let our listeners know she spent, what, nine months in the yeah, hospital? That's a long a time. I remember I was running for office at the same time and just trying to make the decision of how will this work? Because the easy thing would have been to just say, forget about it. All I want to do is stay here in the hospital with my daughter. But I didn't want that to be her story where she felt personally guilty for mom not being able to do these things. And so I continued running and my campaign got was shaped differently in the way that infant mortality was a big deal and is a big deal, specifically in Franklin County is one of the largest issues that we deal with when it comes to, to births or premature births. We're working to address that, but we we lead the numbers in the United States as a county. That was something I didn't know. So I was able to use my platform to highlight that. And I was grateful that it, God put me in this particular place, though incredibly tough on me and my family, and used me as a vessel to curate this message and push it in the community. Bessa, is there some group that people can contact if they want to help with this issue in Franklin County? So there is actually several, right? Celebrate One is one of them because a lot of children do not make it to one years old. Whether it is prematurity or sudden infant death syndrome, there's a lot of things that can be done to make sure that children make it to one and make it to two, obviously, because those are the most fragile years. And a lot of different programs through the state that support parents that have the misfortune of having to deal with this. One of the things that we have here in Ohio and again through Nationwide Children's is they have an incredible program for specific to one particular issue that happens with premature children, which is bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Try saying that fast. We have a dedicated unit here in a children's hospital that just deals with that. And they have a leading unique approach as to how they handle children. Because one of the big things is, yes, we're saving their lives, 
there's a lot of milestones that are being missed. So how do we make sure that the, yes, while we fix and help with life-saving procedures, also the addressing the morbidities that come with prematurity of life. Bessa, you are married and you have another child, is that correct? I had one that was born a pound five ounces, then my next one was born nine pounds, 15 ounces. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you, there was largely nothing wrong with me or it was just Isabella came the way she came. And I have a second daughter. Her name is Dardania. She has a birthday today. Actually, she's two oh. years old. <laughs> uh, happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. She is, and she functions like every second child. People can contact you with a telephone number or your email about any of these groups because you can give them yes. direction. I like to provide mentorship, especially to young women that are trying to figure out their lives because more likely they're not, I have been there. And so I try to be very supportive of that particular mission. I think as women, we have a tendency to just get on with life and not make a big fuss about things. And I think there's ever been a time in our lives when we need to be present and be large and be as supportive to other women and our and children, it is now. It is now. Thank you very much for this wonderful interview. Do you want to say anything in closing? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much, Marianne. I'm just so very impressed with you and the work that you do and the people that you bring in your podcast are a lot of them are either people I work with or that I absolutely adore and think the world of. Happy to see how many women of that caliber you you highlight as we, we really need it. And then second, it's it's an exciting opportunity to have such a podcast here in Ohio. And I just look forward to hearing more. And I've been following all of them. And third, please keep believing in your dreams, all of you out there, listeners. I am living proof that, it, especially in the United States, not only if you work hard enough, but if you believe hard enough that your dreams can become reality. Thank you. Thank you, Bessa. And don't forget to contact you if you're a candidate running. Bessa has a great consulting firm. Thanks. <laughs> High Heels and Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sharad Sate. Subscribe to High Heels and Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.